0: And here we go! This is the Ignite Rock Podcast where one week I interview those who are doing awesome stuff with WordPress and the other week I share some tips and advice on making the most out of your online business and career. Thank you for tuning in and now let's get straight on to the show. Here we go everyone, it's going to be an exciting one today and uh, I have Sean Campbell calling
1: all the way from Oregon and it's a bit of a time difference but I'm glad that we made it work so I think it's going to be a really really good interview, really good chat with Sean about his business and of course about WordPress as well. So Sean thank you for your time and for your effort for being here, I really really appreciate it and I guess we're just going to start off with just a little bit about yourself, who are you, where are you from and how did you get to where you are today?
2: Yeah, and first off, thanks for thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate that. Um my background for the last um 17 years or so is I've owned two businesses. Uh, the first business we grew and sold and that business worked with um some fairly large companies like Microsoft and Intel were our largest accounts and um that company was broadly speaking a technical consultancy. I was a uh, kind of alphabet soup of technical credentials, um, did a lot of work with databases and programming and networking and things like that. And after we sold that company, we went on to found Cascade Insights. Um, my business partner and I, who is the same guy I've worked with for the last 17 years, his name's Scott Swigert. And, uh, the firm we have now is, is that second firm it's Cascade Insights. And we do market research and, uh, some competitive intelligence work. Um, but all of it's for, uh, technology companies and technology companies that have a B2B focus. So uh, we don't do anything like with uh, Samsung dishwashers, but we do a lot of things with companies like Microsoft's Azure cloud service or AWS or working with Salesforce or, or guys like that. And um, you know, I've had a lot of experience with WordPress over the years. We're a very typical small company where, you know, WordPress is a really good fit for us in terms of underlying a lot of our content marketing uh, and website efforts. And, you know, in terms of the current company size, we're about 13 employees now. Uh, the first t- first company got up to about 25 employees before we sold it. And I guess some other uh, side notes, I also have a podcast myself, it's called B2B Revealed. Um, and I've had the opportunity to um, co-author a few books over the years too, um, that, you know, were are either with Microsoft Press or Intel Press or, or a few others.
1: You're a busy guy. Okay. yeah, 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 it's bit, it, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's it, it you know, all, all done with a, a fairly rational sense of what's possible. I think. I mean, it's a that's seventeen plus years of of time there, so there was definitely still time for for family and friends in the midst of all that. But but I do try to keep myself pretty busy.
1: That's good. Well, that's that's fair enough as well. And I think it's quite clear that. You're you're quite passionate about technology, and that's where you kind of focus on, whether it's in your in your business or your, you know at home. I'm sure you're kind of a gadget technology freak as well, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think the future is all about technology anyway, and you know that is something that I've noticed about about your business is that it kind of focuses on the technology industry, and uh, you know you focus on the B2B industry, but mainly technology. And that's what I find interesting is that you you've said it on your site that you're not a generalist, you're more of a, you know, an, an expert in that area and it made me realize that, you know, there's a benefit of being a niche. But, you know, would you say that there's a benefit of being a niche, you know, what what do you get out of that yourself?
2: Well, we get a lot out of it. I think um, great marketing starts from picking a position. You know, so often people will tell you great marketing is great writing or it's great ideas, or it's good creative. And, and and I don't disagree with any of those things in the broader sense that you need those things. Um, you need a good SEO strategy, you need great content marketing, you need um, all that stuff. But if you don't have a really clear sense of where you want your business to stand and, and how that's gonna represent itself in your marketing, um, you really just become this, this generalist that gets easily commoditized, that it becomes really challenging to um, have anybody this, that they want to work with you over somebody else. Um, and you can't necessarily charge a price premium, and you also don't retain clients for as long. So if you, if you pick that one spot where you say, this is where I want to stand, this is what we're going to be defined by, um, I think it accrues a lot of benefits. Now what's the one bigger detriment? Uh, you can't be all things to all people, so if you have plans for world domination, that's probably not going to pan out because you, you're, you're, you're actually going to be just kind of you know, this particular type of business, but, but that, that's not the end of the world. Um, some of those businesses end up getting acquired and maybe that's a, a good exit strategy because they get folded into someone else's business. Um, sometimes people just have a really great life running that boutique firm and that's perfectly fine. And uh, I, so I, for us, being really focused leads to um, a, a lot of good client engagement for us, but it also leads to us just getting a lot better at what we do because we're, we're somewhat craftsmen when it comes to doing the research we do because we're working with a very similar client base year after year.
1: And it makes sense what you said because, you know, with the market for every kind of industry, it's getting more and more competitive. To kind of cover everything, and if you're not niching down to a specific area, you're kind of you know really lost in that market because there's there's so many of you. So the fact that you focus on the B T B kind of market research technology industry, you have really really niche down yourself, and I like the idea that you kind of become an expert in that one area. And even you know even if you have captured the uh, you know a small percentage of that market, that small percentage could be massive anyway, uh, in, in terms of for you anyway as well. So I like that. You know, I, I sometimes I get confused about why people are afraid to kind of niche down further and focus on a specific area. But I guess that happens in any industry, really.
2: Well, yeah, that's true. And I, and I think your point about why people are scared to do it, I, I think, has to do with their they're afraid to trust sales and marketing process they've created or they don't really have one. And that's part of the fear comes from. Um, you know, if you pick itch, you're going to have to wait it out a little bit, especially at the start to have that grow. Um, and I think that's, that's what people are unwilling to do. So they end up starting a business, they take piece of work A that comes in in the first month, and then they take piece of work B that comes in a month or two later, and then piece of work C. And eventually, yeah, they have clients, but they don't really have any center mass. Nobody really knows what they're, they're good for. And then it becomes very challenging when they try to scale beyond the work of a single principal or two, where now you're selling the firm – and, and whatever it stands for, and it's identified with, as opposed to what the principles do. And right at that point, I think a lot of companies get sideways because they say, well, why can't we sell like we used to? And, and part of the answer may be, you were selling you, the individual, or you, the leadership team. And, and at that level, people felt they were buying a smart person or a smart team, but they weren't really buying what a company could do. And so when you transition over to a broader company, now, now you really have to be clear about what that company does, what it's good at, and especially, uh, specifically what it's not good at. Um, I've told people for years, I think I've gotten more sales from telling people what we don't do than what we do do. Um, because they're so, it's so rare to hear, especially a services firm, say, no, I don't do that. You should go talk to this company. Or "Or that's something we're comfortable doing now. Maybe in 10 years, we will be, but we're, we're not ready to do that just yet. And that, that degree of authenticity no, I think uh, legitimate, it's legitimate as it is in our case, yeah. um, you know, re- really, really helps drive a lot of a lot of good business.
1: Yeah, I, well, I agree with you completely as well. And obviously, it's important for you to kind of get that message across and convey that message to everyone that you're focusing on this area. And, you know, a big part of that, you know, is using content to show that. And I know that, you know, for your own business, you kind of work on uh, working with the startups or big tech giants to help with their product launches and sales strategies and, you know, reaching the right customers. And a lot of that is around gathering the right information and insights so that you want to help them to make the right business decisions. So I imagine there's a lot of information gathering for your business to help these business, to to help your other clients, your other businesses, To grow as well.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, we get hired for either pain or opportunity. Um, I typically tell people and that's the truth. I mean, we either our clients are experiencing pain because there's some competitor that they don't understand uh, well. That competitor is probably stealing sales from them or they fear that they will in the future. And so we need to research you know that uh, competitor customer base. We need to understand why that product or service is, is doing well or will do well. And the other time we get hired is opportunity. You know, they their our client is moving into a new space, or the whole market is changing, um, and there's a shift to a certain class of solution. You know, like Internet of Things um, or cybersecurity. A year or two ago and ongoing. Um, when these shifts happen, when people put a lot more. Rent, on a certain type of technology or a platform shift, then all of our clients kind of move in that direction. And so, but in all those cases, to your point, um, the research we have to do, and that may be quantitative research or qualitative, um, because, you know, a small business may make a decision on a gut check or intuition, and and, and I have no problem with that. But if you have a very large company, a Fortune 1000, or even a fairly sizable mid-market, the decisions you're making might impact hundreds of employees and millions of dollars of revenue, so you need to have some research in front of that um, before you just leap to a decision.
1: It's a good point on that because you know sometimes there are cases where, for example, if I work with a client and and they have a gut feeling about a decision that they want to make, and sometimes you have to you know maybe go with it because they know the market better, they know the audience better, and you know sometimes it might make sense to go for it. There are other times where I want to use data to kind of confirm that belief, confirm that you know hypothesis if you will. And when you have uh, in my case you use data from I don't know Google Analytics for example and, and other places and if you have data to prove you know whether your suggestion is right, whether your belief about how your audience is engaging with your website is right, then you use that data. But I guess there are other times, you know, you have to kind of go with your gut feeling, especially if you're a smaller company, you can afford to do that. But I imagine if you're, a, as you said, a a multi-million, multi-billion pound company and you go with a gut decision, it's kind of a a very, very risky thing to do. So, you know, you you, you have to be very brave to do that. You know, I can't imagine making that kind of decisions at the very top level using your gut feeling. So it's kind of a, a brave thing to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and part of the challenge is unwinding a bad decision if you're a large company is just much more costly, right? I mean, if you're a smaller business and you put out uh, a certain blog post and it doesn't generate traffic, well, you just put out a different blog post next week and and you you live and you learn, right? Um, You're not hiring a marketing agency for a $2 million contract, let's say, or you're uh, launching a marketing initiative that crosses 20 countries in Europe. I mean, so that's the kind of challenge I I think that large companies need a lot more intelligence on. And and sometimes it's new product development work, too. You know, they're unclear as to whether the product should have X set of features or Y set of features. And um, why not do research? Why just make that on on a gut check?
1: Okay, no, that makes sense. And uh, it kind of brings me to my next point, because you're talking about, for example, you know, a blog post from a small company, whether it works or not. You know, one thing that's kind of obvious in your case is that you're a bit of a, a content creator. You know, you have you have blogs, you're a podcaster, you have co-authored books, you know, you have a, a, a newsletter that goes out all the time. So there's a lot of content that goes on around you and your business as well. So I'm wondering whether you have a system, you know, what, what do you do to make it or, you know, take along nicely? What do you do to make sure that it's consistent and how do you make sure you get that message out there and reaching the right people and just making sure that the content works for your audience? Yeah.
2: Well, well, <laughs> the first thing is there's a lot of people that build marketing that can't ever point to any revenue they've affected. Um, so we're, we're pretty, Uh, focused on on making sure that whatever content we produce, uh, either short or long term has has some tie in to revenue. Now, now that may be something as straightforward as someone who fills out a contact us form and is asking us for a project, it may be something like uh, more brand awareness type metrics, you know, more organizations know of us. And it, it also sometimes, especially for services firms that live a lot on referrals, um, you also have to listen for when your marketing is impacting your referral based business. For example, we recently got a project from, uh, a fortune, roughly about a 300, I guess. And they, uh, gave us the project. But what I realized was that we got it in large part because one of the stakeholders who we had never met before, um, actually had made a lot of comments about our website and the content we had and kind of our positioning. And actually even was in one of the phone calls we had was even reading off some of the copy of our website. I see you're not a generalist, you're a specialist firm, et cetera. Um, you know, so you have to listen for when your marketing's having that kind of impact because it's not always just going to be form fills on your website for a services firm. You know, your marketing spreads pretty far and wide across your client base. And so collect all those times where people uh Essentially, suggest that your content had some impact in their decision making process or their boss's decision making process. So, we listen a lot for, for those kinds of things, um, you know, in terms of outcomes. When it comes to the system for what we do, um, you know, we've got a couple different marketing tools we use um, to track our content. You know, most well performing marketing teams start with some form of a content calendar and you want to have your content built out. You know, it depends on how. Much time you want to put into it. But in our case, we try to build the content out three to four months in advance um, because that gives us time to pivot and change a piece or maybe shift the calendar a bit to adjust to, um, you know, our client needs or maybe we want to emphasize a given persona or another. So, you know, part of it's having that really robust calendar working ahead so you're not always trying to write something on a Friday and ship it on a Monday. Uh, Another big thing is having really clear personas. Uh, In our business, we have basically um, you know, four major personas that we target uh, for the company, and um, you know those personas have a have a fairly big impact on how we offer the content, and you know we want to make sure that we're hitting those personas on a on a regular basis, and crossing over them for in our business's case, for example, it's market research teams in large companies is one persona, B two B marketers is another uh, product managers or product leaders in B2B technology companies. And then the fourth is competitive intelligence teams and their leadership. And if you know that, and then you go through our blog, you'll be able to see how we have shifted kind of content to hit all those personas at different points in time. And on top of that, we even try to track our revenue by which personas given us the most revenue. Um, in our case, uh, B2B marketers actually have given us probably the most research projects. Um, Which may seem odd to some of the listeners that a market research team wouldn't give a market research firm the bulk of the work. But the reality is a lot of the funding uh, in a technology company for research comes out of, uh, in a fair amount of the cases, the marketing team. So um, the VP of marketing in one case may be your primary persona and a market research team might be second there. Um, But that all goes, that's why you have four instead of one. Because you want to be able to hit all of those with different content that resonates. Um, And then in terms of other tools, um, we've got tools that we use to track uh, search ranking. So, you know, every post we put up, we tie to a particular um, search phrase that we hope it ranks for. And we track how successful we're at in that. Um, We use Libsyn for our podcast statistics. Because uh, the B2B revealed podcast is on, you know, Stitcher and iTunes and SoundCloud and Google Play, and with Libsyn I can kind of collect all that statistics data and see what episodes are doing, you know, better than others or which which ones kind of took off the fastest and things like that. Um, so I think we're we're fairly analytically driven, especially for our size. Again, we're only about a 13 person company. Um, But that's one of the great things about today is that you don't have to pay a lot to get a lot of tools that you can use to analyze your content marketing and your marketing effectiveness. And so if you marry that, those those kind of aggregate tools like social shares, podcast plays, and Google analytics and uh, search ranking, and you marry that bucket of data, with data from, let's say, your CRM that says, these are the clients that were affected by our marketing. Uh, this is the revenue we got. You can get a pretty complete picture about what you should build. Um, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of companies go to that level. They, they tend to either write from what they know, um, which may or may not work for them, or they just simply guess. And um, I don't really think you need to, because even as a small company, there's just a ton of tools you can use to put some real uh, data behind your decision making.
1: It's so true what you said about, you know, using data to kind of help you to make all the decisions right and analyze the data to make sure that you're going in the right direction as well. And I have seen, you know, many companies myself where they don't take advantage of like so Google Analytics and, you know, if you're using Libsyn or whatever for podcasts and read the stats. And I guess, I guess in the case of Google Analytics, it's, maybe it's a bit more you know, complex for some people. There's a lot of data behind it. And uh, a lot of people, I guess, maybe they only look at the the top level kind of metric, which is, I guess, traffic or session, but they don't really look at the engagement or conversion rate and all these things kind of stuff as well. And you're right, you know, you don't have to pay a lot of money for that because in this case, you can get, you know, GA for, for free. And uh, and you can get, you know, a lot out of that to help you with your decision making, help you with your with your content success and so on and so forth. You know, it's such a good point. And, you know, there's a couple of things that I want to highlight about what you said about how one of, you know, a few pieces of your content it has helped you to get a project because uh, one of the staff there has read your content or engaged with the content. And that kind of, you know, the general ethos behind content marketing, I suppose, because it's not just about getting lots of traffic and getting, you know, loads of social shares, but it's kind of also about building that, you know, Kind of trustworthy, making yourself more honest, authentic, and you know, making yourself a bit more genuine about what you're doing, and building up credibility and so on and so forth. And I'm, you know, I guess if you didn't create this content, there's a chance that you may have not got that project. Uh, in in this case, so it's really really interesting that you said that you know it helped you to get that project in the long run, and that's something that you can't really track if you just rely on tools. You just have to kind of get that information from. The person who has been reading your content, and you know the same thing. What you said about your personas, a lot of people don't do that because I hear myself when they create content, and I ask them who's that content for, and they say, "Oh, it's for everyone." But you know, the general saying is, "If you target everyone, you're targeting no one, really." So, yeah, I yeah, no, personas well,
2: helps uh, a lot. Well, I'll give you a quick example. You know, sometimes you have to be willing to retire something that's actually popular for everyone because it's not actually doing anything for you from a revenue generating standpoint. And those kind of decisions can be the most difficult ones. Like we, um, we had an asset that we built called the ultimate tech conference list. And so what we did is we went out and gathered pretty much every conference that the technology conference that we could find, uh, hosted by major vendors, small vendors, uh, conferences that like cybersecurity or internet of things. And we put it in this huge list and we kept it updated. Uh, very quickly, we rose to like the first position in Google for a bunch of what sounds like great terms, you know, tech conference list and ultimate tech conference list. And, you know, um, and, and our clients loved it. Um, it, it and but, but here's the problem. The problem was, it was a massive investment. And while our clients loved it, it didn't actually tell them anything about who we were. It didn't tell them anything about what we delivered. It didn't tell them anything about why they should hire us over somebody else. It, uh, it didn't share any of our expertise per se. I mean, it, it obviously lined up at a really high brand level, like we focus on technology companies, and here we have a technology conference list. Um, and on top of that, it was generating a massive amount of traffic. And so you'd say, well, why would you kill it? It took a lot of time it took a lot of time. It took a massive amount of time. My, my, my marketing manager was it, was, it was a huge amount of her week to just keep this thing updated. Um, and we made what I don't really think was a difficult decision, but it's one of those decisions that I think people don't um, make because they just don't think through the data and the, and kind of the the process of what their content's supposed to do which is to help generate revenue for the firm in some way at least in a long tail sense and so we looked at it and said you know this is a very popular asset we rank really high um but the reality is it doesn't tell anybody why we should get hired um it's a great vanity tool and and even our clients like it but their like of it doesn't Directly correlate to any likelihood of them hiring us from reading this piece of content. Um, in essence, we've created a valuable resource that doesn't have a lot of connection to what the firm, um, you know, the firm does. And I see you see a lot out there where people build these assets and they don't necessarily connect to what the firm's story is. Um, and you see it particularly in larger marketing teams and larger companies too. Um, so. We made the decision to kill it. Um, I haven't looked back. It was really smart. We were uh, we lost some traffic from it, actually. That was driving a fair amount of traffic, but in the end, we actually made more revenue because we focused on content that actually drove revenue over um, content that just drove clicks.
1: Wow. I mean, it's, that's a very brave move. I mean, I guess people would be kind of worrying about that. They they'll probably be scared of losing a lot of traffic and you know they will think about how can we replace that traffic but i guess you know it's not about quantity it's about quality in this case for you so you know if in the end that you reduce the traffic to get you know higher value leads in your site then ultimately in the long term that's the best thing to do so it's a very brave decision to make but it looks like it has paid off in the long term so that's pretty impressive that's really really cool actually I never never really um see that a lot really in my in my area so very, very cool. Um, so then, you know, if we move toward the idea of WordPress and stuff, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, I mean, for you, you know, what was your first experience with WordPress and how was it? How did you come across it? And why did you choose WordPress in the first place?
2: I, I can't honestly tell you how we came across it. I You know, we're probably like most of the planet. We were probably Googling you know, things that we could use to host our website. And, and I was probably, honestly, given how much of a technical background we have, I was probably aware of it for a while before we decided to actually um, use it for our site. Um, but basically, we chose to use it because it was pretty easy for two technical co-founders um, to get a site up and running, you know, lots of plugins to leverage, um, you know, the pre-built templates were, were nice. I mean, we've obviously moved from there, Um, But, you know, when you're starting up and you're just two guys, um, the ability to kind of pick a relatively clean template and and run with it is pretty nice. So, you know, those those are all the main reasons we ended up going with it.
1: And and did you for, you know, for for Cascade Insight, did you kind of build it yourself or did you have someone do it for you? Did you outsource it? What was the process like to get your website off the ground? Well, yeah, and
2: we, we might have had a slightly different track than, than some of your listeners, I mean, in the sense that we were pretty technical, right? So, so we did launch it ourselves. You know, we got our domain name and found a host and set up WordPress and, and you know, set everything up. But we aren't graphically inclined, um, Scott or I. So, so we, we, like most companies, I think, or at least the decision they should make is that once you start to generate meaningful revenue you really should hire a web development firm because they're going to know how to optimize your site in ways that that you can't hope to figure out, um, even if you're technical. I mean, the reality is um, Scott and I both have programming backgrounds and he has a much deeper one than mine, but um, Cascade Insights was going to be a research firm. We were going to leverage our technical expertise in a different way. And so while we could, um, you know, learn everything we wanted to learn about WordPress and make the site, uh, render perfectly on mobile and do, do anything you might want to have a hyper-optimized site. Um, it really wasn't a good use of time, right? So, uh, in the beginning, we just started WordPress contractors cause our work that we needed was somewhat ad hoc. Um, as times evolved, we've established relationships with web firms that, um, are more longer lasting, um, one we use now, we've been working with them for about two to three years, and they're they're a really great fit of, of, of helping us do, um, uh, you know, kind of ad hoc work as well at the same time as doing work that, um, you know, is longer term and, and, and a little more evolved. You know, like, let's say we want to make a big push to make our site more responsive on mobile. They can do a deep dive there for us and things like that. Um, so, but, but that said, WordPress is still a great platform for the marketing team to get in and out of quickly. You know, It's a very good uh, platform to develop content. Uh, when I brought on my marketing manager, she did not have a technical background necessarily. She actually came from a journalism background. And it was pretty minor training to get her up to speed on WordPress um, and to get her using it. And she uses it like a pro now uh, from a content authoring perspective. Yeah. So I think WordPress gives you this, this really nice blend of a really great content authoring tool um, that you can use pretty regularly as the marketing team without having to interact with an outside web development firm except for when you really want to add a lot of more Chrome to the website or you've got a bigger initiative you want to launch um, with it that might force you to like optimize for mobile or or even more technical things like you want to switch the CDN you're using or something
1: like that. You know, that makes sense. And it kind of, um, one thing you mentioned that it kind of helps that you have, you know, a, a technical background. So just to get it off the ground, just to get it going and, you know, have it live and, you know, for the world, it kind of helped a little bit to have a technical background and know-how to get the host and everything. And then after a certain period of time, you know, there comes a the point where, as you said, you should have your own development team or outsource it to a team who can kind of, Obviously, do things better than you, and obviously, you know anyone who can do things better than you it's probably better to, you know, invest in that instead of uh, spending two hours of your time. It's better to, you know, give it someone else who can do it in ten minutes so half an hour or so on and so forth. So, it kind of um, it, what, what I'm getting is that it kind of helps that you have some technical background, but at the same time, you have your marketing manager coming in, and from a content perspective, it's very very easy for someone to just come in. And just start creating content and publish it on WordPress directly. So, you know, it makes sense to me. I mean, everything that you said kind of uh, resonated with me quite well. So it does make sense. And um, so so then in terms of like, um, you know, for those who don't have that kind of technical background or, or even who, you know, there are those who are struggling to get into it, having trouble using WordPress or starting it what advice would you have for anyone in that particular area who's having trouble with it to get to get it started to get it going what what advice would you have for those people well I,
2: um, I I think the biggest one is just just pen time googling I mean I know that sounds really simple but I, I don't even in our first company right where we had a team of developers and we were you know we were like I said we were a technology consultancy so we we built apps and we Helped clients um, who had like new products get those evangelized and things like that. Um, it, it was so common that even amongst the team of developers we had, you know, who were really savvy, savvy folks, is they would get stuck with some programming problem, and you'd go out there and Google it, and you'd be like, oh, okay, well somebody's written some code or taken a look at it or solved the problem kind of this way. Maybe this this will give us some insight into how we can fix our problem. So. Um, the WordPress community is just so massive, right? I mean, uh, the plugin community is massive. The number of people who've commented on some thread about some problem with WordPress is immense. So I, I think for, for most folks, the answer's out there. I mean, it really is uh, for the things you're gonna do, especially if you're talking about the audience you are, which is a fairly non-technical group, maybe getting started with WordPress. The idea that the challenges they're facing are truly unique to them, and has never been answered on the internet. It, that just doesn't make sense. So I would tell them to get familiar with like certain communities out there, um, that are focused on WordPress, um, and, and just look for the answers there. And if they can't find it, then, you know, there's lots of places that you can hire, um, a WordPress developer, just hourly, um, whether it's a place like Upwork, or you can go to like a local WordPress user group meeting or some equivalent like that. Um, you know, I, I you don't have to necessarily hire a web development firm from the start. Um, you, you can just kind of rent expertise hourly um, to fill in your knowledge gaps. And, and the, between that and the internet, uh, you should be able to get answers to
1: almost anything. I think that's quite comforting that in the beginning, you don't have to have a team of Developers, you know, you can get kind of learn by yourself and then gradually build up to it. And then, if you need some help here and there, have someone to help you for half an hour, an hour get information. I think that's comforting for a lot of people who are probably intimidated and think that I need to have a technical expert, a developer, just to have a WordPress website. And obviously, that's not the case. And On top of that, you know, what you said about the amount of resources out there, and I've mentioned so many times in the past, and online and offline, that the amount of resources online, guides, and tips and advice, and all these things on the web is massive. And as you said, the WordPress community is incredibly supportive, they share information, they help each other, and you just have to look and find it. You just have to search for it, and and you're, you're most likely to find the answer. Because at the end of the day, it's quite unlikely that you will have something which is so unique that nobody has the answer to. I'm sure there's a solution to it. I'm sure someone has even got an alternative answer to it. Whatever it is, you have to go out there and find it. So I think it's, it's, it's kind of really cool that what you said, you know, is that in the beginning, just get out there, just start, learn as you go along, then get someone's help. You don't have to start with an expert in the beginning. Just learn as you go along. And that makes sense. So I think that's there be really cool advice as well so i appreciate that so then you know in terms of um you know if we're going to go back to yourself then what is your biggest strength
2: you know on my side um i i think over the years it's probably a mix of education coupled with creativity and an ability to motivate i mean Throughout my career, I've probably leveraged those three in combination or in isolation over and over and over again. Um, I genuinely love to, to educate um, folks. I, I, I do it as a hobby just as much as a career. Um, you know, it's one of the reasons I've got the B2B Revealed podcast. It's one of the reasons I've, I even spent some time teaching in an MBA program um, all, all, the way down to even stuff I might do with my kids, like coach their baseball team or something like that, you know, um, creativity wise, um, y- you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm generally more creative than most. Um, you know, I, I, I try not to, to have a big ego about anything. So um, I, I think if you ask my peers, they would probably say I'm 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 a lot more creative than I'm, I'm describing. But <laughs> uh, but but at the end of the day, I, I think that's definitely something I've leveraged. I've usually been able to figure out ways to solve a problem that are unique or hasn't been thought of before um, pretty readily. And um, and the third thing is I think like I said, I'm just I, I think I have a, a pretty innate ability to motivate others toward a goal. Um, you know, I, and I don't mean in a salesy kind of way, I just mean in terms of figuring out how to inspire them to get to a particular point in space and time. And that may be motivating clients to consider alternatives to some business decision they're making, or that may be kind of motivating staff to move in a certain direction. But, you know, so if you, if you take a little bit of education, a little bit of creativity and some motivation and mix them
1: all together, that's, that's what I tend to leverage day in and day out. That sounds like a a magic potion, really. If you have all of these three things together, then you can't really go wrong and you can kind of do a lot with these three things together. So that's really uh, very cool, even though I asked for one. But, you know, it's quite interesting that you said three strengths that kind of help you where you are today. And especially what you said about your ability to teach and stuff like that. And I guess it kind of shows when it comes to, you know, your website and you're creating that content and you're helping others and you're teaching others and just kind of helping you with your, not only just with your credibility, but just to help other people as well. And you know, it kind of shows online and offline as well. And uh, of course that creativity comes into it as well. And then of course you're motivated enough to help others and yourself to do that. So I can see where you're going for. Um, It's very, very cool that you have these kind of magic potion all mixed together. So then on the other hand then, what is your biggest weakness? And how do you overcome it? Um,
2: I, I would say it's, it's writing. Um, I, I've gotten much better at it over the years. Um, it, you know, public speaking, training, educating, um, you know, from more of like a verbal standpoint, uh, running the podcast, that's a more natural thing for me than, than writing is. Um, so what I do to fix that is I tend to surround myself with folks who love the craft of writing. Um, my marketing manager comes from a journalism background. She's a fantastic writer. Um, so the way we work together is, um, I'll record the podcast, you know, essentially kind of come up with the initial idea for the piece of content we want to do. Um, we'll turn it into a transcript. She'll work, you know, with me to turn that into a blog post. And obviously it morphs a little bit as it turns into a blog post, because the way it might represent as a blog post is a little different than it'll represent, um, as the audio in the podcast. And, um, and frankly, my business partner is not much different either. He's a much stronger writer um, than necessarily um, you know, a public speaker. So we make a good combination that way. And uh, that, I think that's the biggest thing, right? If you know you're deficient in something as an owner, um, it, it's great to learn so that you fix your deficiencies. But the reality is we're, you're never going to be great at everything. You're just not. Um, and, and the sooner you recognize that and come to grips with it, and say, I'm just going to hire for that, or I'm going to find a business partner that is um, a good complement to me that way. Um, that's when you're really going to start to be successful. Um, so so I, I would say for me, it's writing, which is probably a funny thing to say for a guy who's got blog posts out all the time, and we're doing a bunch of content marketing. Uh, but, you know, it is a, it is a team effort. Um, that that puts that in. And my marketing manager regularly says that I write better than I think I do. Um, So, but, but I do know it's not as strong as some other skills that I've got. So I'd say that's probably my bigger weakness.
1: But the good thing is you don't let that stop. You You still keep trying and you practice and you keep writing and writing and writing. And um, you said yourself that it's better than it was many years ago. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know if you hadn't done that then you're probably just gonna admit defeat and say like you know what i'm not good at writing i should never even bother trying i'll leave it to someone else to do it i'm not gonna you know learn and how to do it myself so at least you you actually made an effort to do that and if, we've talked about it a few times you know you said about how there are certain things that we kind of outsource and let someone else do And you know, sometimes it's better to have an expert to do certain things but at the same time you can't be an expert in everything But if you know how to do it, if you understand the process, if you can speak the language, then that kind of helps as well. That kind of helps you to work with your marketing manager and people in the journalist background and writing background, all these things, because you understand the process, you understand how it works. So if you hadn't done that, then, you know, that kind of would have been a a different story, really.
2: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's just coming up with a creative way to get started, right? You know, um, yeah. my writing's gotten a lot stronger over the years, but in the very beginning, like, well, if, if maybe what we do is we have a podcast that um, generates pieces, and then that podcast will turn into articles that'll go on our blog, but that keeps us from having to necessarily write the article as the first thing, right? You know, start with more of an audio format, a public speaking format. Um, and, and I think that's probably a lesson to the entrepreneurs or small businesses too, right? Um, there's all kinds of content you can make, you know? Um, yes, blog content with X number of words, Google loves. I I don't deny that at all. Right. And that's going to help your search rank, but you know, maybe you're great on camera. So start with a series of YouTube videos, right. And host those on your WordPress site, you know, or, um, maybe you're great at delivering, you know, webinars or presentations or things like that. Um, or maybe you're, you're better at longer format articles, like when you've got more time to write um, and you're better at, at writing books and things like that. So I, I think you just got to find your niche. You know, writing writing uh, pithy, catchy, 1,000-word blog posts isn't the only way to be successful when it comes to content marketing, you know, kind of thing.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. At the end of the day, there's a different kind of format you can do. As you said, audio, video, and writing, you know, there's so a different ways of doing it. It doesn't have to be, as you said, 1, 1,500, 2,000 plus words. No, you can experiment with doing different things and kind of diversify your choices, contents, really. So it all makes sense, and I agree with you on that as well. So then in terms of, uh, if we're getting all sentimental about it, what are you most proud about with your business?
2: Yeah, we know who we are, and we haven't deviated from that over the years. Um, that, that's one thing for sure. Um, we, we've obviously been creative in our approach to problem solving. I mean, as I mentioned, that's one of the things that, that I feel like I bring to the business. But so we're really far from being static. I, I, if you worked with us or hung out in our office for a few days, you'd be like, these guys are really creative. But, um, but that's different from, from staying in a spot, you know, in terms of who you serve and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and so, so knowing who you are as a firm is, is a really big deal, not just chasing revenue for the sake of chasing revenue. Um, you know, so and, and so often I think small businesses chase profit over keeping an identity. Um, and then they're not around because eventually their identity isn't really anything. And so the economy turns um, and works harder to get. And all of a sudden people don't know what they stand for or what they do the best at. And um, I think if you you keep that identity firm and, and f- focus on steady growth while you're doing that, I think that's a route to, to long lasting success. So, um, you know that that's probably the biggest the biggest thing I'm proud about.
1: I like that a lot. It makes sense, and uh, I think it's something that everyone can kind of take on board and learn from. That it's not just about you know a fast sprint to the top. Even a, a steady growth in the long term is probably better. It's actually in most cases, it's actually much more sustainable in the long term than sprint to the top. It's a marathon, not a sprint at the end of the day. So I I, I agree with you on that and it all makes sense. And everything that you said today, um, you know, there's a lot of things that you shared. all makes sense and you know, a lot of insight that people can learn from that I appreciate you sharing. And it's really, really cool that, you know, that you shared your success stories and your process and your and your ideology about your content, your website, and your business business and all these things. So I appreciate that and uh, definitely appreciate your time again and uh, your effort for being here. And I guess just want to round it up by just asking you if people want to find and connect with you, where can they do that?
2: First off, just check us out at um, cascadeinsights.com. Um, and uh, people can reach out and even email me if they like. My email is just sean, S-E-A-N, at cascadeinsights.com. And, of course, you know, uh, feel free to check out the B2B show. We do uh, some interviews, and we cover a lot of things of interest to folks who have uh, B2B companies, whether you're a marketer or a seller or a product developer.
1: Awesome Jeff. And, Sean, thank you again very much for coming on the show, and I hope we will talk again soon. Same here. Thanks for having me
0: thank you for listening to the ignite rock podcast i hope you have enjoyed the show and if you want show notes all you have to do is visit igniterock.com forward slash podcast and don't forget also to leave a review on itunes if you have enjoyed the show it would make me a very happy guy and i would really really appreciate it in the meantime let's rock with wordpress